morning, everyone. If you feed them, they shall come. Well, it's good to see you all today. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 22. I kind of feel like all this Genesis study, especially these months of Abraham, has been kind of been building up to this, this passage. So I feel no pressure whatsoever. Um, but let's read Genesis chapter 22, get some context, and let's see if we can learn and worship from it. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Buzz his firstborn, Buzz his brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hezo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight, Melchah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Reuma, also bore Teba, Gehem, Tahash, and Nacha. Let's pray. Lord God, we are uh, really humbled before you this morning at what we are about to look into. You have done something amazing uh, in this world, and in this story, uh, we are going to learn what your plan was all along. 
and how you used Abraham to prepare the world for what you would do to bring salvation. God, I pray our hearts will be open to hear and learn on what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that this would deeper our love for you and our appreciation for your love for us. We ask you to bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't know how long this is after the last chapter when Isaac was born. But just as that came to pass after these things, I think if God wanted us to know, we would know. There are a lot of different views of how old Isaac is at this point. Some have said a teenager, some have said 17, some have said as old as 25. I think that's something to take into consideration later on when we see uh, what happens. But I believe that in the first verse, um, there's something important exposed to us that we need to understand this very hard passage. I think this is a passage that is hard for some people. Why would a loving God do this? Why would someone do this? And how could God ask for this? It's a hard passage. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Those of us who are comfortable with it and understand it may not see it that way. But for a lot of people, this is hard to reconcile. God asked a man to slay his son in offering to him. But look what it says in verse 1. God tested Abraham. Tested Abraham. He doesn't tempt Abraham. He tests Abraham. It's important that we understand that before we look at what God asked Abraham to do. This is a test. I do not believe, I hope you agree, that Isaac was ever at risk. I do not believe Isaac was ever at risk. Because either Abraham's not going to obey God, Isaac is fine, or God's plan all along is if Abraham passes the test, he's going to intervene. So there's really no risk to Isaac. But it's a powerful test that God has built Abraham up to. And I believe, after all we've studied about Abraham, we've talked a lot about God's timing. We've looked at this over and over again, the timing of Abraham, when God calls him out of Ur, when God calls him into uh, Canaan, and God, God does all these things, and he's telling him what's going to come, but there's a timing. And I believe Abraham has to be at this point in his life for God to test him. God doesn't test him when he's younger, because he might not pass. God prepared Abraham for this moment that God planned beforehand. So God gives Abraham time to mature. And I think we need to understand that in our own life and our tests. As we know, God does not tempt us to sin, but he does test us to prove our faith, especially on the things that we love more than him. Turn with me to James chapter 1, please. James 1, beginning verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The testing of your faith. God puts tests before us. We say we have faith. We proclaim we have faith. We tell everybody who will listen we have faith. But until it's tested, do we know? Do we really know? I'm going to tell you right up front, I would not pass this test. 
I would, I would not pass this test. This is hard. But God knows Abraham. God prepared Abraham, and God waits, makes Abraham wait so long for Isaac to be born. Now he makes God, makes Abraham wait so long until he's of the age. And Abraham's at a place where it appears he may love his son right now more than he loves God. And God needs to prove to Abraham, you love me more than this. For my promises to be complete, all the things that I promised you, it's going to be dependent on you loving me more than anything I give you. And that's a hard test. So God says, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. God clearly lays out to Abraham what he's asking of him. Take your son and offer him as a burnt offering where I tell you. We do not want to get confused on the nature of God. God has always been, always was, and always will be opposed to child sacrifice. Do not mistake the nature of God changing in this moment or God being different than God has ever been. Back then, it's believed, and certainly we know that when the Israelites came out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, some of the nations that they had to wipe out by God's justice were people who sacrificed their children. But they did it brutally. They laid them on an, on an iron altar of a statue on fire and watched their children suffer horribly, horribly, child sacrifice. God is not asking Abraham to do that. He's asking him to prove that you love me more. He's going to ask him to do it differently than that. <laughs> so the question we have to ask, are we willing to sacrifice what we love more than God? Are we aware of what we love more than God? And when he reveals it, are we willing to give it up? It's a hard question. And as I said, it's, it's something that we don't really know until we're tested. But we should be mature enough and prepared that God will test us. Because he wants our absolute love. We cannot wholly love until we learn how to love the way God loves. In fact, this verse here, verse 2, is the first time in the Bible the word love comes up. There's two firsts in this, in this chapter. The first, this one here is love. Love is never mentioned before. And the first time it comes up is when God calls on someone to sacrifice it for him, to give it up. Because here's the reality. Until we love God first and only, we can't truly understand love. And all the things and all the people and everything that our heart desires and all the love that we want to give, we actually can't do correctly until we understand how God loves. And we can't do that until what's in between us and God is out of the way. Because then we can fully appreciate God's love for us. When we fully appreciate and understand God's love for us, we can then love the way God loves. But what's the object that's in between us and God? It has to be removed. God tells Abraham to take his son to the land of Moriah, if you turn me to Second Chronicles chapter three, please. For those who don't know, Mount Moriah is where they believe the temple was built. 
And the reason why we believe this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Now, if you remember, David desperately wanted to build a temple for God. God said, no, you can't build a temple for me. You've, you've slain men. You did it in my name, but, but you've done horrible things. So your son's going to build a temple for me. And in 2 Chronicles 3, it says, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Earlier in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David was commanded by the prophet Gad to offer a burnt offering to the Lord in this place. And David goes to the guy who owns the threshing floor in the place on this mountain, or this mount, it's not really a mountain, it's a, really just a high hill in the area of Jerusalem. And even then, David says, I will not offer anything to my God that does not cost me anything. The guy says, hey, you're the king, take what you want. David says, absolutely not. I will pay you for this, for I will offer my God what costs me. It will not cost me nothing to offer sacrifice to my God. It's important to recognize what God expects, expects from us when it comes to worship and when it comes to sacrifice. There's a cost to it. Because this is the first place that love is, is recognized in the Scriptures, I couldn't help but think the first, the first time love is mentioned in the Scripture is tied with sacrifice. Love, from God's perspective, is tied to sacrifice. As we know, love is not about emotion. Love is not about how you make me feel today because you might make me feel differently tomorrow. Love to God is centered, it's anchored, it's foundationed on sacrifice, on sacrifice. And God's using Abraham to teach this, I think. So take the one that you love, which means whom you love more than me, and you're going to offer him there to me to prove to me that you love me. You look at verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I just wanted to point out here that worship requires preparation. Abraham, for, first of all, for those who have, have, are confused by the paintings that have been given through history of an old man killing his young son and he's this old frail guy, Abraham's 100 years old and he's splitting wood and walking three days. So I don't think, you've got to get the picture of this old frail man who, who couldn't you know, tie up his son if he, if he had to. Uh, Abraham's a very virile man uh, at this age. He splits the wood himself. Abraham splits the wood himself. He is doing his part for his worship preparation. Worship takes preparation in the heart of the person. We need to spend time with God. We need to be building up our thoughts on Him. We need to be preparing ourselves for worship. We can't just walk in, uh, for example, in church at the Lord's Supper and just say, let me see what happens. That doesn't mean that we spend the week preparing a sermon for the Lord's Supper. It only means that if we spend time with God during the week, when we sit before the table, our heart will overflow with worship. It may come something absolutely completely different than what you've been reading all week. All it takes is the heart conditioned to prepare itself to love God and be thinking of Him. And when we sit before the table and look upon the table, He will flow through His Holy Spirit as He promised, lead us in worship. 
But if we don't spend time with him in preparation before, just spending time with him, just spending time with him, what's, what are you going to bring to the table? Where's your heart going to be? It's going to be on all the things you've been thinking about during the week. It's, you can't flick that switch. So there's a, there's a representation here, an example, that we have to prepare ourselves for our sacrifice of worship. So on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So this will be one of the first illustrations, I guess, of the Lord Jesus Christ and Isaac in this offering. It's three days. It's a three-day journey. We know what that means. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. I, I, I don't know what this specific illustration is. Everyone may have their own. Maybe on the third day, the Lord Jesus rose and saw the tomb open. And he walked out. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. If Abraham's going to offer his son, and he really believes he's going to offer his son, why would he say, We're coming back? Either he's lying, which you know Abraham has a little bit of a tendency to do. It's, it's, there's a little history there. Or he really believes through faith that God is going to spare his son. Abraham has a confidence in God through his faith that's being revealed right now. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to obey God. But God also promised me that this son is the heir of promise. You guys wait here. We're going to come back. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. The New Testament reveals this to us. In Hebrews 11, all the great forebearers of faith. It's a chapter on faith. Look at what he says here. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. There's a a heart reality here that I think we have to recognize in Abraham. If he's going to go through with this sincerely, then the moment God said, take your son and offer him to me, in a way Isaac's dead to him. That's what they mean by figuratively. There's a picture here that we're going to see revealed differently later when God intercedes. But if Abraham's going to go through with this, his son has to be reckoned as almost already dead to him. But, look what it says. God that was able to raise him up. If Abraham absolutely is convinced through faith that Isaac is the seed that God promised, and now God is telling him to offer him, Abraham's only logical conclusion through faith is that God will raise Isaac. It's the only thing that makes sense. So when we get later into the chapter, we'll see that this is true. Abraham's confidence and his obedience is absolutely secured by what God has done in his life up till now. Again, as I mentioned, 
God matured Abraham to this point so that when he called Abraham, Abraham would pass the test. God doesn't want to give us tests that he thinks we're going to fail. He wants to give us tests that he thinks we're going to pass, but we have to have the faith to pass it. He's not a failing teacher who wants to see who he can, who he can fail. He wants to build up our faith. He wants to improve our faith. And that's what tests do. They build us up. So this faith in God and his promise is keeping in with God's character. It's not based on what Abraham expected. It's solely based on his faith in God and his obedience to him. I mentioned there are two firsts in this chapter. And here's the second one. Switch back to Genesis. Back in verse 5 of Genesis 22, what does he say? The lad and I will go yonder and worship. This is the first time Scripture mentions worship. Love and worship mentioned the first time in the Bible through this story. A first use of worship. So worship and sacrifice are now forever established. Worship does not exist without some form of sacrifice. We come to worship the Lord because we come through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bring worship, which is a sacrifice. We're putting aside everything else. and We're giving him the sole adoration. Worship in itself is a sacrifice. Love and worship, from God's perspective, are wholly tied to sacrifice. And God reveals that through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we should also recognize here, when Abraham says, you guys stay here, excuse me, we're going to go yonder and worship, he's stepping into a private place with God. He knows that this is just between him and God. He's prepared himself for it, and now he's stepping out. It's important to recognize that we need worship that is alone with God. Just us and God. Leave everything behind. We need our private place. We need our solitude so that God is the sole fixation of our mind and our heart. Leave behind what may distract us or interrupt us. Sincere worship ensures that we commit ourselves to the Lord and giving Him the full attention that He deserves. And I think there's a picture of that here with Abraham stepping aside, leaving everything behind. He's just going to go and obey God and bring Him to worship. Next picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Isaac carries the wood that is going to be the altar where he's going to be offered. After the brutality of his trial, Jesus Christ was forced to carry his own cross. His own cross. He wasn't just brought to some place said, this is your time. They made him walk with it. They made him carry it. Do you know what that does to you when you have to carry the implement of your execution? Isaac still doesn't really know, but we certainly see the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He has to carry his own wood. Isaac says to his father, my father, and he says, here I am, my son. And he says, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. I don't know if you realize it or if you see it, but I think that there is a fabulous picture of father-son relationship with God here. Isaac doesn't go, what's a burnt offering, Dad? What are we going to do, Dad? What do you mean we've got to walk three days, Dad? Isaac knows what they're going to do. Abraham says, we're going to walk there, we're going to go where God told us we're going to offer a burnt offering and worship the Lord. Isaac knows exactly what's going on. He just doesn't know that he's the one who's going to be the offering. We have an opportunity and we have a responsibility to ensure that our children understand what worship is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and what's required of us in worship. We can always begin at whatever age they're able to bow their head in prayer. It doesn't have to be perfect. But Isaac, I believe, has a faith. I believe he's seen his father's faith, and I think he is old enough to have his own faith. He fully trusts in God. He does not question what they are doing. They're here to bring an offering before the Lord, and he's into it. He's not whining. We go home yet, Dad? We go home yet, Dad? Are we there yet, Dad? No. What's Isaac's one thought? Where's the lamb? We're going to worship God. Dad, where's the lamb? Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. I have thoughts that are coming, and I'm trying not to say them now. Sorry. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting ingrained into the, the story of Isaac and Jesus, and I'm trying to not jump ahead, but it's hard. It's also intertwined. It's such a beautiful picture of what we know the Lord Jesus Christ did. God did provide for himself the lamb. There's two powerful pictures of Isaac, I hope we know. The first is the illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God being offered. The second is that God intercedes and provides the lamb himself. The lamb, the ram being the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's two powerful pictures here. The son has faith. Abraham has faith. Now here's what's interesting. And I'm sure there are many different opinions on this. All I can do is share mine because sometimes the scripture, again, as I said, sometimes doesn't fully say why certain things happen. He came to the place which God told him. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on, on, in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. There is no reference here to Isaac's resistance. We may assume that Isaac resisted and fought back, but we have to be understanding that the scripture is very clear. There is no reference to Isaac ever resisting his father. Why does he bind his hands? I believe that Isaac is in submission to his father and trusting in the faith that God will provide. I believe there's, there's a picture 
but also in submission, in wholehearted submission, Isaac's hands are bound just to prevent the self-defensive reflex. God, I'm co- Dad, I'm cooperating. This is what we need to do to serve God. I submit to God with you. Did the Lord Jesus Christ need to be nailed to a cross to be crucified? He willingly offered himself. Willingly. He never had to be nailed down. What's the purpose of the nails? He has to hang on a tree to become a curse for us. That's the prophecy that's commanded of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. What are the nails for? I think certainly there's one point of view, and that is for us. The nails are for us. So that we know for certain that Jesus Christ is there until he's dead. He has committed himself to obedience to the Father. Anyone who's going to doubt, is Jesus really offering himself? You doubt that I'm going to offer myself? Nail me to the cross. Nail me. I'll stay here. You will not have to worry. You will not have to question. There will be no doubt that I hung here until I died. Nail me. So I think Isaac's binding is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his offering of himself. As I mentioned earlier, um, it's, it's been commented, and I agree, that to get to this point and to do what he's asked to do and to take it as far as he takes it, as we looked at in Hebrews, in a way, Isaac has to be considered dead already to Abraham. But he's doing it in faith that this is not the end of God's plan. He's trusting God's promise. And here's the beautiful part. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The angel of the Lord, as I hope you know, when you see the angel of the Lord speaking in the Old Testament, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's an angel of the Lord, it's an angel. If it's the angel of the Lord, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ intercedes in this beautiful picture of what is going to happen to him. And he calls him twice. He wants to make sure that he's going to stop. And he intercedes. How how trivial do we really make the things that God asks us to sacrifice compared to what Abraham's been asked to do? Do Do we have the perspective? Do we have the perspective of what Abraham had to go through? Sometimes I think we're just silly. Oh, time, oh my time, oh my gosh, God, please. Like right now, right now, you know? But I'm really into this show, God, like right now, you know? Oh, church is so early. Little things, petty little things. God wants me to sacrifice for them? It's not that important. What's the big deal? You see what God requires to know? God says, I know that you love me. 
Turn with me to James chapter 2, please. James chapter 2, and we'll just start in 20. Do you, not, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Brothers and sisters, we can talk the game all we want. But if we're not willing to do what God asks us to do, it does not save us, but it proves us. God wants more than words. God demands more than words. God demands faith by works that we're willing to do what he asks us to do. And it's always going to be bound, it's always going to be anchored, it's always going to be a foundation built upon sacrifice. God has shown us what love and worship are through this act. So God says, the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, now I know that you love me. Let's go back to Genesis. Now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The relationship between God and Abraham has now enhanced and strengthened in a way that Abraham couldn't have possibly predicted or anticipated because of his relationship with God now. And when we are willing to make a sacrifice for God, we realize and learn the same thing. know that you fear me, that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. With Isaac being the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, God who did not spare his own son, will he not freely give us all things? Do we know? Do we realize? Do we have the relational experience when we take our time to realize what it costs God to offer his son in our place? This beautiful picture of this intercession by God. You know what, Abraham? I've called you to do this. I've commanded you to do this. And I know that you fear me. But I want you to know that I love you. That's the whole picture of the cross. That's the whole picture that's revealed in Isaac. God intercedes for us. Because our works can't save us. Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide. We need to understand. Oh, pizza's here. Um, 
It seems such a beautiful, simple picture that I don't, I don't know how to enhance it. I'm being completely honest with you. I just see the beauty of Christ. I see the beauty of the cross. Do you see the, the Father's perspective? Do we see what it cost Abraham as a picture of what God would do? What torment he went through knowing that he was going to have to sacrifice it, believing he was going to sacrifice his son. Do we see the incredible power of God and the love of God and the mercy of God when we see that he intercedes, he provides a sacrifice? God intercedes and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he looks and he sees and there's a ram caught in the thicket that which was provided for the sacrifice. One day there was a prophet named John and he turned and he saw and he proclaimed for everyone who could hear, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The substitutionary work of Jesus Christ cannot be underestimated. It can't be missed. I, I, I apologize if I'm coming across so somber this morning, but the, the, the magnitude of the picture, as much as I want to be filled with joy, I am. But the weight, the weight of these fathers, the weight upon these fathers Abraham, the weight of bringing his son and putting him on an altar. The weight of God in heaven preparing all things through time till the right time when his son would come and be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The weight it was upon God, upon God to let his son hang upon that cross in agony. What was Isaac going through when he's tied up? What's Abraham going through? What did God go through? What did Jesus go through? I don't think we can appreciate it. We can try and we can be in awe. But it needs to humble us. It also needs to cause us to rejoice that God did it. But there's a, there's a weight here on both sides. Abraham expresses and exhibits the weight for us to recognize as human beings what it costs to put your own son upon the altar. I can't fathom. And yet God did it. And God didn't intercede. He didn't stop and say, yes, the cup can pass for you. God said, no, this cup shall not pass from you. Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was silent. I, I want to end this on a good note. I don't want to be heavy. This is beautiful. This is so beautiful. Because we realize the love God has for us. What an incredible picture God's given us through Isaac and Abraham. How much God loves us. 
how much He gave up for us. So as we looked at in Hebrews, when it was a figurative, figurative to Abraham, as I mentioned earlier, for him to get to this point, Isaac had to be considered dead before he even lifted the knife. Otherwise, he can't go through with it. He's already accepted this. So when God intercedes, it's like Isaac's resurrected. He's brought back to life. That's the picture there. Love and worship are connected to sacrifice. Our love and our worship to God are anchored in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends with this beautiful little name that's going to carry everything on that we're going to learn about shortly. Rebecca. Rebecca. We find out about Rebecca. God has already got a plan in place for Isaac. Think about that. Through this whole thing, is Abraham going to offer Isaac? God already knew because he already had Rebecca prepared for him, didn't he? There was already a plan in place. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much. We, uh, we gather every Sunday and we try and appreciate and offer our sacrifice of worship and gratitude for what you gave up for us. God, the reality is we can't appreciate the weight of what you bore when your son was on the cross at Calvary. When you bore that separation, when he offered himself, when you willingly led him and he obediently went. So Father, we are so very thankful. God, I just wish I had the words to articulate how in awe and humbled we are how much you love us. We are so very thankful, God, that you would give your only son, your only son, be on the cross of Calvary for us. But Father, we're thankful as the picture of Isaac was there, spared, resurrected, we see in our Lord Jesus Christ the resurrection, the victory, the power of God, and that which is ours because of faith through him. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much. May we be able to regularly offer our humble worship to you that you are due. May we prepare our hearts for you. May we give you the time that you deserve. May we give you the worship that you are due and the obedience that one who claims to fear God actually does. Thank you, Lord God, for your love towards us. We know that you love us because you've given us Jesus. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so pizza's here. So normally this would be a corporate prayer Sunday, but we're going to not pray. We're going to go down and eat. Sound good? So I'm going to pray for the food.